So Mikhail has uh, not only set up Funalytics, but he has also a vast uh, business experience in setting up agencies and also doing webinars. So we can't wait to hear your words of wisdom today, Mikhail. It's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward <laughs> to the conversation and, and sharing whatever value I can share. All right. So, Mikhail, let's start off with your business journey. Tell us the highlights of your business journey. Okay. Highlights. Um, so, I, I've built two seven-figure businesses uh, and one eight-figure business at this stage. Um, I've been able to kind of do it across multiple uh, different industries, which has been really fun. So an agency, a software company, uh, a coaching and um, kind of info based business were kind of the three core that I, I was able to scale. Uh, and, you know, I've grown teams to uh, just shy of 30 people and uh, have looked at a whole lot of different marketing strategies, uh, especially with with Funnelytics and seeing, you know, the data and seeing what our our clients have um, done. So so those are some of the highlights and some of the the fun parts. And I'm sure we'll dive into the lowlights as well um, (laughs) throughout the conversation. But yeah, some of the highlights there. Sure, sure. So did you start off with your coaching business first before moving into your agency business and then final no. analytics? No, I actually started off. Um, so so the journey is a lot longer than that. Uh, I started off um, in kind of selling T-shirts and then I, I went into affiliate websites and I started learning about pay-per-click advertising. And um, I, 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 experimented, I experimented a whole lot. Uh, my first real kind of business was a Mandarin language school. Actually, I don't know oh. if you knew that. Um, and no, I had yeah, no idea. No, I, I don't. I don't speak Mandarin. I've never been to China. Uh, but uh, I, I started a Mandarin language school. Uh, this was in 2012. 2012 is when I, I built that with a friend of mine. And um, we exited that business. And I, I really used a lot of my kind of knowledge of funnels and basically just marketing in general to uh, ramp that up. Uh, when we exited, I actually went into, I started another language business, uh, a tech business and uh, an app actually, um, that didn't actually work out. We, we went bust. It didn't, it didn't pan out. Um, but then afterwards, that's when I started my agency. So I took a lot of the knowledge that I knew about funnels and about how do you convert strangers into customers and uh, started helping businesses, started building uh, funnels for them. And actually one of the clients that I brought on very early days uh, in the agency was a coaching business in the nutrition space. Uh, It was called Mm. IIFYM.com. And um, I ended up becoming a partner in that business, becoming the CMO and and really Mm. kind of helping that business ramp up uh, and, and grow to kind of uh, new heights. So yeah, I, I, it, it kind of happened simultaneously, but technically it was a client of my agency first. And then I became a partner and, uh, a a co-owner in that business. Right. I get it. Okay. So it seems like you have dipped your fingers into many different pies and, uh, yeah. So, obviously you can see opportunity like many entrepreneurs do. Um, so, you know, there's always the shiny object syndrome that keeps entrepreneurs 
in one place, right? And yep. not really moving and getting stuck. Um, how do you see opportunity versus, okay, this is just a shiny object syndrome. How do you differentiate between that? Um, I, th- I think the biggest thing is uh, a lot of times we we don't take the time to see something through. Uh, as entrepreneurs, we're, we're quite impatient. We have kind of, especially if you're a vision-based entrepreneur as opposed to, let's say, an operations or integrator-based um, entrepreneur, um, what we find is is our vision tends to be clearer than the time it takes to actually achieve that vision. So uh, mm-hmm. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, you know, in, in the software world, you think that, you know, let's go and build this thing. Like I can see it. I know what it looks like. I know what I can do with it. But of course, in order to actually build it, it takes years, right? It takes several months to get a prototype and then get the feedback and then test it and this and that. And, um, and I think what happens is as we're, as we're working towards that vision, opportunities arise. And when those opportunities arise, we start to assume that those opportunities can come quicker by chasing that opportunity than if we were to just stick on on path and, and whatnot. And what it does is it creates this spiral for us because we just end up going down this path of, okay, well, man, I'll give you a perfect example. I, when I, um, one of the first businesses that I, I attempted or first kind of projects that I attempted when I first uh, learned this whole digital marketing game was a um, survival knife website. And basically what okay. I did was I built a website that had all of these review articles, um, all designed for SEO purposes. And, um, and my buddy at the time had all of these survival knives. And this was back in 2010-ish. And um, I don't know if you remember in 2012, uh, the Mayan calendar was supposed to end and it was supposed to be the end of the world. You, do you remember you remember that was it back 2012? then? Like, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, the end yeah, of the world yeah. was supposed to happen in yep. 2012 yep. because of the Mayan calendar or whatever. Um, they even made a movie about it in 2012 or whatever. Yeah. Um, yep. So at the time... I, I, I got all these knives that my my friend had, these kind of, you know, he's an outdoorsy kind of guy. So I took pictures of them. I wrote these articles, SEO driven, you know, Google at the time was much different than it is today. And um, mm-hmm. and the idea was I would rank these articles and I in my mind, I'd be like, OK, well, 2012 is going to happen in a couple of years. People are going to search for survival knives and survival gear and all that stuff. So yeah. Yeah. I'm primed for this. Right. Yeah. And. After about three months of basically building the website, getting everything up, all of that stuff, I kind of sat back and I was like, okay, now what? Now now I kind of have to wait in a sense, uh, like maybe do some link building and all that. But ultimately, my site's up. How am I going to start making money? And because my vision of what this thing should be was felt far away, I jumped onto the next shiny object, which is, okay, well, let's go and learn pay-per-click. You know, let's accelerate this. Let's find another way, another tactic, another strategy to make this work. Mm-hmm. So I learned pay-per-click advertising and um, I threw a, uh, I threw $100 at, at pay-per-click ads for some of the, the landing pages or the articles. I actually got my very first online dollar uh, dur- doing that. Uh, it was a $5.23 okay. commission. 
Uh, and I spent $99 and like 90 something cents to make that $5 and 23 cents. So, you know, it's this idea that ultimately we're always chasing that vision and find trying to think of ways to make it happen sooner. What Mm. I've learned over the years is that's not how it works. The more you chase different shiny objects, the more you chase new tactics, as opposed to honing in that one tactic, refining it, optimizing it, Mm. just continuously doubling down on that. Um, that is what creates that compounding effect over time. And it just mm. takes time. But most people want to skip the time. They want to be millionaires by the time they turn 21. So yeah. they're trying to yeah. figure out how do I do that, right? So yeah, um, yeah it, it's it, that's really kind of the, the challenge yeah. that we face. I think sadly, that's probably one of the things that keep entrepreneurs where they are, like not breaking through, right? Because they're kind of like jumping from one opportunity to another and not really, really optimizing the opportunity they already have, like what you mentioned. Yeah, I think the the biggest challenge with entrepreneurship is we chase the thrill. So what I mean by that is um, part of being an entrepreneur is you get motivated by your thoughts and you get motivated by the opportunity and the thrill of will this mm. work so you put yes. in a whole bunch of effort trying to make this thing work you you learn this new tactic or you learn this new software or you learn this new thing and you're like this is exciting yeah this is going to change my life and you get excited and motivated by that so that's mm. what ultimately drives you to kind of make this thing happen or, or double down on this thing. And then once you reach a certain point of like, oh, okay, it, it, it wasn't as good as the copywriter said it was. It wasn't as fast as the yeah. person kind of sold it to me. Then you kind of jump on the next one because you lose that motivation, that excitement of, of this. Yeah. What I've come to realize is that you, you really have to love the journey. You really have to get mm. excited by the milestones and not focus on the gap, but focus on the gain. What I mean by that is I, I, I read the I have this book that I'm reading right now called um, The Gap, The Gap and the Gain or something along those lines by Dan yep. Sullivan. And yep. if you think about great book, you, you have, you've read the book. Yeah, it's a Several great book. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's a it's a great book because it really makes you start to realize um the difference between how we're perceiving the world and, and how just two sides of the same coin can actually change your entire mindset. So yep. for, for those listening who, who don't know the premise, basically it's very simple. You start somewhere, you have a vision at the very top, and then somewhere in between is what you've achieved, right? Now, most people focus on the difference between their vision and what they've achieved. In other words, the gap between what they've achieved and the vision. And the problem is every time you achieve something new, you're always constantly evolving your vision. Your vision's always Mm -hmm. moving forward. So therefore, you're always chasing that vision and focusing on that gap between what you've achieved versus, mm-hmm. you know, what the vision is. Yep. The people who are the happiest focus on the gain, which is where did I start and what have mm-hmm. I achieved and what is the gain between those two things? 
and, and if you stay focused on that while still understanding that I have a vision at the end of the day, there's something I want to achieve. But by focusing on the on the gain, um, then all of a sudden it. it you're not chasing shiny objects. You're not trying to find new tactics or new ways mm. to try to get to my vision faster or, or simpler. It's, mm. it's man, look at what we're consistent, consistently achieving all this time. So I think that makes a big, big difference. Yeah, I agree. Cause like, I think if you're in the gap, you're kind of like in the mindset of desperation saying, okay, I need to do this other thing and seize this other opportunity. And we then lose the vision. Good example was recently I looked at my last year's figures. It yeah. didn't hit where I wanted it to hit. So I was feeling I was in in the, the gap, right? Yeah. And I was kind of feeling a bit depressed. But then I look back at five, my figures five years ago compared to today. I've increased my business by sixfold compared yeah. to like five years ago. And then like, okay, I'm back in the game and I'm like, okay, let's focus and continue to grow this instead of trying to do something new and stupid that, you know, may keep me in a bad position. A hundred percent. And I, I actually think that, um, I actually think that goals or at least, um, targets are very, um, very bad. Like I, I, I hmm. see targets, you know, I understand that we have to have to some degree something to achieve towards and we want to hit targets and, and, and align people based on, um, you know, set up plans based on, okay, well, if I want to hit X amount of revenue, which means I need to have X amount of new customers, which means I need to have X amount of salespeople and all of that stuff. Um, these things are, are important to kind of formulate a plan. The issue with targets is rarely do you ever hit a forecast. Rarely, mm. right? Rarely mm. do we ever hit the targets that we want to hit. And when we do, yay, great, we hit it. Mm. And you mm. sit there and you're like, okay, but now what? You know, like who, it, it really doesn't change anything other than, cool, let me pat myself on the back and say, good job, I, I, I hit my target. But it yeah. doesn't mean anything, right? Uh, as long as you are enjoying that journey as opposed to focusing on the destination or focusing on that target. Uh, it, it makes the world of a difference. And, and trust me, I've been, I've been on the other side as well, where you sit there and you're like, man, I didn't hit my target. I raised money. I didn't do this or that. Mm -hmm. And, and it just puts you in a bad state of yeah. mind. And it's not, yeah. it's not why we go into business in the first place. That's right. So, so Mikhail, talking about that, right, uh, talking about shiny object syndrome, you transitioned from being a marketing agency to be becoming a essentially a software company helping that actually monitors traffic and helps people to track the, the marketing. So how did you know that wasn't a shiny object syndrome? Uh, and yeah, so I'm just wanting to know what your thought process was and why you decided to transition. Um, I knew it wasn't a shiny object syndrome because I couldn't stop thinking about it. I couldn't stop thinking about this thing. Um, mm. I truly, I truly felt that, like I, I want this. I want this. Even at, at the very beginning, that investment and that kind of spend that I took to kind of build that first prototype, um, it was 
it was like I was still running my agency. It was uh, money that I used from my agency to build that first prototype. Um, it was a tool for me. It wasn't a tool for other people. It was a tool that I mm. wanted internally because of how I was operating my agency and the, the processes that I, I had. And it was really there to simplify my life as an agency owner. Um, at, at some stage when Funnelytics started to grow, I had to make a decision. Do I mm. keep going with my agency and do I split my focus or mm. do I double down on, on one or the other? And of course, you know, as you know, I went with Funnelytics and uh, <laughs> continued to grow that because, of course, there's, you know, there, there's obviously higher upside, but it also fueled me a lot more. Like I, I was getting mm. up in the mornings and I was, I, this is all I wanted to work on. It's like, how can I, mm. you know, w- what should this product do and this and that? And, you know, late at night, like instead of thinking about how do I get another client for my agency, my thoughts were, mm-hmm. man, how do I get more users? How do I get this? How do I, what, what is the next feature that I build, et cetera. So mm. I, I think, I think we, you have to kind of, it's almost like, you know, um, you know, the saying like, you know, if you're about to spend some money on something and you're about to buy something and like it's an impulse buy, just sleep on it for a night and yep. and see if you still want it the next day. Right. Yep. Sleep on it for a week and see if you still want it. Well, in this case, it's not a shiny object if you're constantly thinking about it, if it's if it's motivating you. Right. There's mm. no if you're sitting there and saying, man, I, I really, really want to keep doing this or I really can't stop thinking about trying this thing. Um, if, if that lasts more than a week, then you're probably in a stage where it's like, yeah, you should probably at least pursue it. Cool. Cool. So was it, what were the challenges like to transition from an agency to a software company and, you know, what kind of challenges came up? Because as you mentioned, I'm sure it wasn't as smooth as you thought it was going to be where you kind of have the software company and everybody wants to sign up. And yeah, so just wondering what were some of the challenges you faced um, in this journey of building this Funnelytics software? Man, uh, more than I can even count or or mention. Uh, I could probably go year by year and and talk about challenges that we faced. Um, right. uh, but you know, some of the main ones in the software game is the the biggest one. The by far the hardest thing that I've ever had to solve that I never had to. It, it wasn't the same challenge in the agency world or even in kind of the uh, info space, coaching space um, is churn. Trying to get mm. somebody to adopt a piece of software and use it and not churn by basically understanding, well, who is the real user? And with Phonolytics, we had we still do we we all sorts of users because we had this free mm. mapping tool that's how i started kind of promoting it is through this free mapping tool uh, which hey, we no I signed longer up for it yeah there you go right you signed <laughs> up for the free mapping tool we no yep. longer offer the free mapping tool yep. we've actually closed it off and, and the main reason we closed it off is because um even though it brought incredible clients overall it also brought 
all sorts of noise. And it, it mm. made it very, very hard for us to understand, well, what exactly are we building and for who? Because it it very quickly became not about me, but about you guys, about the customers. And and mm. every customer coming into this mapping tool had slightly different wants and needs and and you know reasons they were using the tool and, and what their mm. next step was, etc. So Churn is a massive challenge. It's a a challenge for any business, but in the software game, um, it is your business, right? If you can't get somebody Mm. to stick around, it's it's really really tough because you're charging a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks a month. You know, maybe on the high end, you're charging five hundred or a thousand, whatever. But in general, you're not charging a lot of money in a Mm. in the software game. Um, So that was really really challenging. And I never had, um, I've never had experience building products, right? I'm not an engineer. I'm, mm. I'm technically an engineer by, uh, by education, uh, civil mm-hmm. engineer though, not software engineer. <laughs> and I've never had experience building products. So understanding what that looks like. I, I didn't have a co-founder, uh, with Funnelytics. So it was just me. I hired a developer. So understanding like what is what is building a product really look like? You know, what exactly does it mean? Um, I had no idea, no idea that I would have to pay exorbitant amounts of money to AWS for mm-hmm. like tracking all of this data that we track for all of our clients. I had no idea, right? In my mind, right. it's just like, I want this tool to do this. So I want it to click here and do this and show me this. So, um, you know, that learning cycle is also very, was very, very challenging for sure. So, so the development costs basically went through the roof from what you expected to to development costs, um, server costs, basically just costs of, of taking this product to another level. Right. Mm. Um, the problem with development and software is that you can't iterate ahead of time. What Mm. I mean by that is let's say, uh, people want a Facebook integration and they want to see Facebook data in funnelytics. Okay, mm-hmm. well, it's not like I can whip up a new service and, and tweak it with my next conversation or, or a coaching program, like tweak it and, and record it live after, you know, um, after yeah. I've sold it. Like, yep. I, I've got to build it first, right? Yep. And, and you go and spend the next three months to six months building a prototype or building version one. Then you get mm-hmm. feedback. Then you realize people didn't want it exactly this way. And, and you got to create this loop. So... There's a ton of upfront costs um, in the software space that I didn't think about. I didn't really know. Like I knew theoretically, but when it's Mm. actually hitting your bank account, um, (laughs) that's when it hurts uh, a little bit more. You actually truly feel it. I also raised money with Funnelytics. So we we went down Mm. the VC route and and raised uh, money and trying to hit milestones and, and playing the VC game is a very different that can be game. stressful yeah it's a very different mindset than when mm. you're bootstrapping for sure it's uh, mm-hmm. it at least it causes you to th- it, it definitely causes you or at least it caused me to live in the gap much more mm. than in the game mm-hmm. having vc money because mm. 
you know, you wake up one day, literally, this is what happened with us. Um, it was in kind of two chunks, but basically you wake up one day and you have $3 million in a bank account. Like you mm-hmm. go from, okay, we're struggling, like profiting, mm-hmm. making, you know, margins mm-hmm. every month is on the verge of potentially mm-hmm. working or not working mm-hmm. and, and you're stressed. And then boom, $3 million in the bank account, except that $3 million right. comes with stipulation, spend it yeah. and grow. Right. So now you're, wow, you're, so you're forced to spend it kind of thing. Of course. Why, why else are they giving you money? Yeah, right. Uh, they're, they're giving you money to grow the company, to increase the value. So yeah. go spend that money, grow the company, focus on the targets. What are the targets that you're going to hit? Now you're sitting here and you're saying, okay, um, well, I've got this money in order for me to, get to the next milestone, I've got to focus on not my achievements, but on my targets, which is, again, Mm. focusing on the gap. Because in the VC world, you're only as good as your next race, right? So Mm. you raise a seed round, you Mm -hmm. do a few things, you hit some milestones, you go and raise a series A round, you do some stuff, you grow, you hit milestones, you go, you raise the next round. And if you're not able to hit those milestones, if you're not able to hit those targets, you're not raising the next round, right? Mm. But what you've done is you've actually sat there and said, okay, well, I've got to, I've got to use this money to try mm-hmm. to hit those milestones. So mm. uh, that's when you start going and saying, okay, well, shiny objects, or maybe we should hire this person, or we should do this, or we should do that, because you're trying to solve for achieving that target, Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be very, very uh, stressful and also very challenging, right? Because if it mm-hmm. doesn't go according to plan, well, guess what? All of those people have to go. You've got to cut back. You've got to basically scrap your plan and say, okay, we've got to pivot. We've got to try something different. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it, it, it's, it's a different game for sure. Yeah. So, Mikhail, I'm just wondering, like, in terms of how business has affected your personal life, did you have to sacrifice, you know, through the years of being in business? Did you have to, you know, has any aspect of your life had, had to take a back seat, like your relationships, your health or anything like that? Um, and how did you deal with that? Yeah, I would say um, not so much my relationships. Um, I have uh, two two kids. I have a, a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. Uh, you know, my my daughter was born two years before I started Funnelytics, uh, and my son was born right in COVID 2020. Uh, mm. So 2020 was a very interesting year for for most of us and uh, all of us really, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, but for me, because I had my son, uh, because I also that was the year I raised my round of, of funding. That was also the year we went from uh, in office to fully remote. Uh, a lot of things happened that year that kind of changed the course uh, over the last few years. Um, but I've always, for me, family and you know my life in that way is, is always been number one. Uh, at the end of the day business is is fun building businesses is fun but you're you're not going to sit back and first of all you know funnelytics is not a company that 
is going to necessarily be around in a hundred years from now, right? Who it's, it's a company that we are building that, um, I truly believe in the product and and we're going to create a ton of value for, for our customers. But at some stage, technology is going to evolve. People are going to think of customer journeys differently, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Mm. my family though is not going anywhere. Right. And, and if you aren't nurturing and, and, you know, really honing those relationships, um, you know, that's when I don't want to look back at 60 and, and sit back and say, man, I built this incredible business, but I don't have the family that I really truly want. Um, I'd mm. rather say I have the family that I've wanted and I wasn't able to achieve, you know, I, I had to sacrifice mm. my business aspirations uh, but I am finding, you know, for me, I'm finding that balance. The one thing that has suffered nice. for me is definitely, um, uh, just health, just focusing on not focusing enough on my own, my own like health, especially physical, just working out and it becomes mm. a back burner, right? It becomes a, okay, well, number one, make sure, you know, I can see my kids and tuck them into bed and all that stuff. Number two, I got to make sure I can pay the bills and, and build the business and, and grow the team and pay and, you know, serve our customers and all that stuff. Uh, If I have time, I'll do some (laughs) pushups. Right. You know, (laughs) yeah, I get it. The pushups can wait, (laughs) (laughs) but it is bad. It is bad because you, you get older and you start to realize, man, like actually your health, your own taking care of yourself should actually be number one because it fuels mm. everything else. If you're able to take care of yourself, you have more energy, you um, are in better mood. You're overall just have more stamina and you're just, uh, you're, you're just a better person. You operate better. Your business does mm. better. Your relationships are better. So even though, you know, the pushups have taken a backseat, I'm well aware and conscious that, they need to take a front seat because otherwise other things do end up suffering. Right. If you pull yeah. out your back because you're not strong enough, that's not fun for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things with health. If you don't take care of it, it might not happen to you immediately, but it could happen to you two, three years down tracks where 100%. something happens and you're like, Oh shit, I should have done those pushups. Exactly. I should have done those pushups. I should have gotten, <laughs> should have gotten stronger, but it's, it's true. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's probably yeah. in general, like, you know, building a business yeah. requires a lot of time for sure. Now, I, I like your, I like your philosophy and the way you see family and business because, you know, let's face it, even Apple, Microsoft, they probably won't be around in a hundred years time. Totally. And yeah. it, it, and, and, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I listened to a, somebody sent me a video and it was my wife. Actually, she sent me a video of, um, this lady that basically was just sitting there and um, it's a short video. And in the video, she's like, I want you to think about something. Fast forward 100 years from now, let's go to the year 2124. The reality is this. Nobody knows who you are. No, your, your grandkids, your great grandkids have never met you. You are ultimately completely forgotten. Even if you've made an impact in the world to some degree, maybe you're in a book if you're, you know, you've made that big of an impact, but overall nothing has really changed. The world has moved on and 
maybe for the first year or two, people mourn you. You become a picture on their wall. But once your grandkids now are at that stage where they're now 80, they're now in their 60s or whatever, and you're passed away, what did it all mean? What did you spend the last 100 years focused on? So mm. if if it's basically going to not matter in five years from now, you shouldn't spend mm. more than five minutes really dwelling on it or being stressed about it. And mm. and I believe that that's really true. Like you need to live mm. a life where at the end of the day, it's fun to build a business. It's, it's fun to try to make money. It's fun to try to hit these goals and um, and impact as many people as we can. And, and yeah, we should live our lives to the fullest while we're here, but we shouldn't sacrifice um, what really fulfills us on a day-to-day mm. basis. Because in 80 years from now, buddy, you and I are in life. We're gone. It doesn't yeah. exist anymore. It's, it's over. So That's right. who cares, right? And, and yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. Some people would argue, hey, man, you can have an impact on humanity. Um, I would argue that, yeah, I mean, let let Elon Musk be the one who figures out how to get to Mars. I'll figure out how to track customer journeys, make sure I, I can make some money along the way and have fun and, and spend time with my yeah. family. Yeah, uh, especially when your kids are so young. I mean, you know, exactly. it's, it's just once in a lifetime chance. Once you miss this window, it's done. They grow up so fast. They grow up and and it's over. And um, yeah, and, and if you are driven by an ultimate mission that that drives you, uh, you know, again, like Elon, like Jeff Bezos, like like the people who you know are trying to move humanity forward in that sense. Mm. Um, then hey go by all means like mm, you are that yeah. person yeah i'm not gonna stop you you know um yeah. <laughs> and i'll i'll look up to you in that sense yeah. but uh, there's nothing wrong with that they're absolutely not of course uh, like yeah. we without amazon i wouldn't have uh cloud services and you know there's all sorts <laughs> of things that that have uh, yeah. evolved from that but ultimately um we are still just on this little planet that is in the middle of this universe. That means fundamentally not much. You're right. So, Mikhail, let's pivot a little bit. Uh, I know you've done a lot of webinars. You've promoted a lot of webinars in your agency, and you currently still do webinars for Funalytics. Could you share one or two tips to make webinars more successful to our audience? Yeah. Um, so a lot of things that I've learned over the years with webinars, uh, the biggest thing that it comes down to is always, always your offer and understanding how to, how to create the belief pattern that will, um, that will stop people or how to how to break the belief pattern that would potentially stop people from buying your offer. That's really what your webinar is designed to do. So one of the mm. things that I always start off when I'm creating a webinar is I look at my offer 
and I want to make sure that my offer solves a very specific goal, right? So mm-hmm. if I'm going to help you generate leads, my offer, you know, if you've ever read the $100 million offers by uh, Alex Hermosi, or if you've read any of Russell Brunson's books, uh, you want to stack as much value into that offer where it's almost a no-brainer for somebody to basically say, well, yeah, like if my goal is to generate more leads, this offer was designed to generate more leads and encompasses everything. So one Mm. of the things that you're going to sit down is you're going to ask yourself, okay, well, what are all of the possible objections that somebody would have when it comes to, um, when it comes to uh, generating leads for this particular thing? And then what are all the possible objections of everything that I have in this offer? So Mm. every, Every part of the offer, you're going to kind of scrutinize and say, well, they might say this or they might say that. And, and you, typically the false beliefs will will come around three core things. This is you know iterating from Russell Brunson. Um, it'll be either the, the solution itself, the vehicle. It'll be an internal false belief or it'll be some sort of external false belief. So the first thing I do is I sit down and say, okay, this is the offer. This is what I want people mm-hmm. to buy in order to achieve this thing. Then what I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down and saying, okay, if that's the offer and that's what I want people to do, I need to reverse engineer what belief, what does the viewer or listener need to believe in order for them to say it's it's a no-brainer for that offer, right? Mm. So, for example, I'm, I'm currently crafting a new little mini webinar um, for kind of one of my front-end products uh, with Phonolytics, which will include access to our, our mapping tool, access to our template library, access to some training around um, around how to use templates to close clients using Phonolytics, et cetera. And, and the, that offer is 100% designed to help people close high-value clients, not to retain, not to present um, mm. you know, reports or look at numbers. Just everything I'm doing is designed to help you close high-value clients. Everything I'm stacking in the offer is there to support that thing. Then what I'm thinking about is what are all the key beliefs that people need to have in order for them to then say, yes, this offer makes sense. So the first thing I'm going to say is, okay, well, they need to believe that they can close premium clients or they can position, package their services for premium fees. And they also need to believe that this part of my offer is kind of the only way that they can do that. Then they Hmm. need to believe that um, in order to actually make a sale, Uh, They need to show something that is visual and show a client something that is visual. And they need to believe that Funnelytics mapping tool is the best way to show something that's visual. Mm. Then they need to believe something else, right? So I'm going to keep listing all of that. And and I'm just going to start crafting my webinar in this structure where I'm going to come in. I'm going to introduce who I am. I'm going to talk to you about the first thing that you need to believe, my first secret, Mm. my first hack, my first point, my first phase, whatever. You need to believe this. And then I'm going to actually start sprinkling in how part of my offer is designed specifically for that. Then I'm going to go to the next Mm. thing that you need to believe. I'm going to make sure you Mm -hmm. believe it and show you that Mm -hmm. part of my offer is designed for that. 
Third thing, and then I'm going to go and transition into here's the offer. Now that you understand that if you do this, this, and this, you can achieve this thing, here's the offer that I've designed to make this easier for you, right? So that's ultimately Mm. the structure that I've refined over the years um, from testing webinars, learning from the Russell Brunsons of the world and and the Jason Fladlians and, and basically just trying all of these these things. So hopefully I didn't ramble on too much and that was useful, but um, yeah, just something to think about just false beliefs and eliminating those beliefs. Uh, that makes sense. I mean, the way you structure your webinars, you're very much, you very much have your end user, your prospect in mind, and you're helping them to overcome the, uh, you're entering the conversation in their mind about the belief systems, about whether I can do this and all that stuff, which I think is so important because many people just look at a webinar structure and they think, oh, I'll just fill in the blanks. And they kind of like miss out the most important piece, which is the customer and the person, what the, yeah. the person and what they're thinking. And, and that's why the webinars, you know, don't succeed. Yeah. And, and I also think that um, the, the process of building a webinar people people tend to conflate training versus a webinar Mm. Um, in a webinar you cannot be afraid to sell your goal is not to teach your goal is to sell your goal is to get somebody to buy the only Mm. way that you're going to get them to buy is not by teaching them something new it's by making them realize that the way they're thinking is not the way they should be thinking if they want to achieve this thing that they want to achieve they need to be thinking this way and your Mm. offer is there to make that easier to simplify that to create a shortcut to that but fundamentally you need to approach your webinar in a way that i'm not here to try to teach you something new. I don't want you to go out after this webinar and and like take this, you know, workbook and start filling it in and all that stuff. That's just going to give them homework. Right. And it's not going to convert. What you want to do is just basically sit down and say, my only goal on this webinar is to understand, to put myself in your shoes as the customer, to understand what beliefs do you have about this outcome that I'm trying to get you to list Mm. those and then break those. Right. Mm. If I can make that happen, my webinar will convert. Now, Mm. there is a big difference between live versus evergreen webinars. We can get into that as well. But um, yeah, that is how I start thinking about webinars. Right. So that's so good because you're actually shifting beliefs rather than teaching, which is what many people do at webinars. uh, And they they wonder, hey, I gave all this value. How come no one signed up for my offer and yeah, yeah because you didn't you didn't sell them the offer you gave them the value right you yeah. sold them the value as opposed to selling them the offer a webinar is designed to sell an offer it is not designed to sell value right yeah. so and i think that that's the the key there it doesn't mean it can't be valuable the webinar is still mm-hmm. valuable as a whole because if they didn't watch that webinar they wouldn't have changed their belief patterns 
Yep. So it's still valuable, but it's not about mm. selling them value. It's about selling them an offer. It's about making sure that they understand that offer, if that makes sense. That's such a good distinction. Uh, since you op- you've uh, opened the loop on recorded versus live <laughs> webinars, so tell us the difference, Miguel. Yeah, so um, live is significantly easier significantly easier um and the reason it's easier is because you have feedback right you're you're going to go through a loop over time and um that feedback is live tangible feedback it's qualitative feedback not just quantitative feedback the problem with uh recorded webinars is you're um you're hoping to make it work based on quantitative feedback, i.e. how long did people stay? How many people mm. looked at the offer, etc. right? You have very little kind of qualitative feedback to, to get from. Like there's tools like Webinar Fuel and, and you know, other, other tools out there that kind of collect the chat and, and all of that, that process. But it's not the same because what I've noticed is... Mm at least me, when I record a webinar, I'm lazy. I don't want to do it again. I don't want to start chopping it up. I don't want to start tweaking it. And it's like, okay, it's done. Let's mm-hmm. put it live. Right. Um, and let's put it as a recording. But the reality is you're going to have to tweak your recorded webinar just as much as you're going to have to tweak your live webinar. You're going to have wow. to iterate on it. You're going to have to cut it up. You're going to have to shorten it. You're going to have to test this. You're going to have to move the offer here. You're going to have to tweak how you pitch it, et cetera, et cetera. When you're doing it live every week or every two weeks or whatever the cadence is, you kind of don't have a choice but to tweak it because you're mm-hmm. you're about to present live to a group of people. So I'm mm-hmm. about to go live. So I'm going to – I saw that this last one bombed, so I'm going to have to tweak something, right? Yeah. When it's recorded, well – I just see that I spent a thousand dollars and I made none back or I spent 10 grand and and I made one sale. I'm going to just say, well, it didn't work because I don't have that feedback. I don't know what didn't work or didn't, you know, so I always uh, prefer to go live, do it live Mm -hmm. a bunch of times, get it to a stage where um, I know that it can convert. Um, Mm. Ideally do it live to a cold audience as well Mm. um because doing it live to a warm audience is not the same as doing it live to a cold audience Uh, but at some stage if you want to uh evergreen the webinar and you do want to kind of not have to do it live you just need to realize okay i'm going to take my best live version and i it's a net new experiment. So I have to come with it in the mindset that this isn't going to convert and it's Mm. not going to work. And I'm just going to have to look at the data and figure out how can I actually tweak this a little bit more, chop Mm. it up, shorten it, um, you know, tweak where the call to action is, whatever it may be um, as I'm experimenting cold. So Mm. It's it's a process to get a webinar yeah. to convert on cold, and it's not easy. Yeah, definitely. You're, you're better at this than I am, so you, you you have way more experience about webinars than I do when it comes to testing. And so I'm sure you could probably give some some better tips around yeah. evergreen versus uh, live. I mean, I think you just have it spot on. I think most people we work with, um, one of the key mistakes they want to make is that uh, I want to 
put this on evergreen as soon as possible. So they might just do one or two webinars and they think, yeah, let's go evergreen. And it falls short because like you haven't done enough testing to, to live co-audience. Yeah. And, um, and I think, I think the one thing I will say is, um, if you are willing to spend money to ex- basically use the money to experiment because converting cold or sorry, converting an evergreen webinar versus converting a live webinar is fundamentally different. There will be um, differences in uh, attendance rates. There will be differences in, in how people you know perceive it. Most people nowadays know that this isn't live so they won't stick around the same way show up rates so the sooner you can start experimenting with the the evergreen webinar knowing that you will spend a lot of money up front what most Mm. people fail with when it comes to webinars um or funnels in general i i would say but specifically webinars they sit there and say, okay, my offer on my webinar is $997. Um, I'm willing to spend $2,000 to test this. And if it doesn't convert, I'm going to throw it out the window. Okay. Well, what you're actually going to experience is you're going to spend $10,000 gathering a whole bunch of data and tweaking Mm. and then you're going to spend another five thousand dollars and and that first ten thousand dollars will get you no sales and then that next five thousand dollars or that next ten thousand dollars will get you one sale and then Mm. the next ten thousand dollars will get you three or four or five sales and then the next one now you're at that break even because you've iterated and iterated so you've spent that 30 grand in order for you to get that first couple sales but it's not this it's not this linear process. It's no sales, mm. no sales, no sales, no sales, tweak, 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 sale. Mm-hmm. No sales, no yep. sales, no sales, no sales, tweak, 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 sale, sale, right? And and yeah. most people sit there and like, I'm going to spend two grand. It didn't work. Ah, let me stop this. Yeah. I tried funnels. Yeah. It didn't work. Yeah. I was speaking to yeah. somebody who told me um, I spent $700 and it didn't work. I was like... What what do you mean? How, how much was your cost per lead? Um, and he was like, oh, it was like, you know, $30 cost per lead. Okay. So you generated a total of 10 leads is what you're saying you, you did. So yeah, it didn't work. I was like, mm, yeah, if that's your mindset, of course it's not going to work. So, yeah. you know, that, you know, you, those are the challenges that you face when optimizing funnels and, and, and webinars yeah. in general. But it's worth it because once you have a working webinar, once you have a working funnel, then it's like sky's the limit. The sky's the limit. And that's, that's the thing, right? And most people have uh, a scarcity mindset when it comes to money especially Mm. when it comes to money spent on advertising because it's this weird feeling of like, I'm literally just giving money to Facebook, right? I'm, I'm literally just doing this. I only got 10 leads. Okay. Well it was $30 for you to get those 10 leads when you spent that six, $700. And, um, I look at your landing page and I see that the conversion on your landing page is 15%. But the, you know, your ads are actually not 
too bad. You know, 2% click mm. rate. Um, your cost per click is maybe a little bit high, but that's just the nature of your audience. So mm. it's not that it didn't work. It's that mm-hmm. there is a bottleneck right there. You could probably yes. split test a new opt-in page. And now all of yep. a sudden you just dropped your cost per lead to $10 or $15 yeah. or whatever it is, right? Mm. And then people move on to the next step. But in order for mm-hmm. you to do that, you're going to have to spend another 700 bucks. Yep. You yep. don't have a choice, right? So people right. see it as a as an expense as opposed to as an investment in terms of building that webinar. If I were to say to you, okay, you know what? You're going to get an evergreen webinar. However, that evergreen webinar, you're going to have to invest $50,000 first, and then that webinar will work, right? Well, now mm-hmm. my, my what do you call it? My state of mind or, or kind of my expectations are set that, okay, that 50 grand is gone. It doesn't yep. exist anymore. I'm spending yep. it. It doesn't, it's not going to come back to me. But after that 50 grand, I'm going to start to see the money come in and, and I start to see that break even, et cetera. People think, yeah. well, I'm going to spend, shouldn't, this thing should be two times ROAS, right? Or three X yeah. ROAS. That's, that's what it should be. So let me go and spend the $300. I should have made a thousand. <laughs> Didn't work. Yeah. Well, that's not how it works. Yeah. Well, Mikhail, it's been fantastic. I mean, you know, you shared so much knowledge in there and experience in terms of like the entrepreneurship journey and also on webinars. So I think if I hope everybody got tremendous value from this as I have. Um, before we end, Mikhail, if people are interested to find out more about Funnelytics uh, and what it does and to follow you to you know learn more from, from, uh, from your words of wisdom, how can they do that? Yeah, if you want to learn more about Funnelytics uh, and, and you're ultimately kind of an agency, uh, then go to funnelytics.io. If you're a coach or uh, a kind of a consultant and you have a webinar, then go to Terrence because he's a certified Funnelytics <laughs> partner and he'll help you optimize your webinars. Uh, and when it comes to following uh, me, if you want to you know, follow along uh, the journey of building Funnelytics and customer journeys, um, I post a lot on LinkedIn mostly. So uh, go to my LinkedIn and connect with me there. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you, Mikhail. It's uh, been a pleasure. I wish we could talk longer, but uh, maybe we can do another session in the future. Sounds thank you so good, much, man. Mikhail. Appreciate it.